Hey, good afternoon, everyone. This is Doug Scott from the QB11 show coming at you. I wanted today to bring up this issue of the temporary restraining order that Washington State and Oregon State were granted against the Pac-12 conference and talk a little bit about all of these legal proceedings and what they might mean going forward for both the conference as well as those two schools, as well as the other 10 schools that are involved. So um, I'm trying, I will try my best to speak to this in in a kind of facts only, like what has happened, what's at stake, what what will happen next. I'm going to try to avoid giving opinion as much as possible. I'm going to lay out what's going on, lay out the arguments that the various parties may have. And and then at the end, I may get into a little speculation, informed speculation about what the next steps are, where this might go. And the reality is it could go in several different directions in the future. So I'm not necessarily going to predict which one will happen, but I, I will try to lay out some directions that this that could happen. Uh, so let's start a little bit with the background. So what is going on? Uh, well, obviously, the you know, 10 of the 12 schools have announced their intention to leave the Pac-12 at the conclusion of the current media rights deal, which ends in summer of 2024. And those 10 schools have all decided join new conferences for their futures starting next August of 2024. In the meantime, all 10 are continuing in the pack for the current year, which is the end of the existing uh, media contracts. And so what really is at stake here is who who is allowed to sit on the Pac-12 board of directors and vote on matters, you know, matters of conference, uh, matters of the conference for both for now and in the future. So there are fears on both sides of this issue. If you want to both sides, it, uh, like you have a group of two schools that, you know, are, are still in the Pac-12 for the future, although they don't know what that future will look like. And you have 10 schools, of course, that have, that, that have agreed to join new conferences um, next summer. So according to the bylaws, uh, the, the Washington State and Oregon State interpretation of those bylaws is that they are the only two schools who are allowed to be on the board. Therefore, they are the only two schools that are allowed to hold a board vote or to vote on any subject to board approval. The other, the other 10 schools haven't made any argument whatsoever. I think it's really important to note that this, this hearing that was filed by the Washington State Oregon State was against the conference. It was not against the other 10 schools. The other 10 schools did not join the hearing, nor did they participate in it in any way and are currently not subject to it. We'll get into a little bit more on that later. So why they brought this action potentially is because the, the, the Commissioner Klyapkov was trying to hold a meeting of all 12 um, school presidents to decide on, at a minimum, some retention, retention agreements and employment agreements in order to keep the conference running for the current year. Uh, you know, as you know, as you can imagine, when an, an entity is presumed to be ending or, or at least substantially changing, uh, people start looking for new jobs, right? And the Pac-12 has about 200 employees, mostly in the Pac-12 networks. And if those two, you know, if a decent number of or key critical members of those 200 employees leave the conference this year to take new jobs, the conference will potentially be unable to actually run business. Um, the conference, the Pac-12 network, produces a thousand sporting events a year, including football. They produce all of the football games, uh, and and they need to have those employees to do that. And, and the 
the argument that was made in court yesterday by the Pac-12 attorney accurately is that there's a risk if there's enough flight of talent and, and, and employees that they will be unable to meet their obligations and therefore putting their, their current year revenue and future revenue in jeopardy if they're unable to do that. So that's kind of the Pac-12 argument here. The, the Oregon State and Washington argument is they want to, the, the other 10 schools, if a board meeting were to be held and those 10 schools were allowed to participate in it, those other 10 schools could vote to dissolve the conference, split up the assets 12 ways, and and the Pac-12 is no more. And the, the Oregon State and Washington State don't want that to happen because they you know, purport to continue to want to try to rebuild the conference. Ultimately, this all comes down to the assets, right? So there's about $450 million in current year revenue. Uh, the Most people would, would, would tend to agree that that should be split 12 ways. I think there's some... There are some people making arguments that, that the two schools could make a claim on some or all of that money. Um, we'll put that aside for now as well. Uh, other assets, there's about $65 million in future NCAA tournament credits that get paid out over the next five years. There's about $100, $100 million in a Rose Bowl settlement payment that will come in the next couple of years as well. There's whatever conference reserves remain. The last reported number of that was around $45 million. I think that was a couple of years ago. Uh, so it's unknown how much is in there right now. And then, of course, the Pac-12 network assets, which is equipment and, and other things that, that are kind of rolled up in the Pac-12 network, which do have some probably tangible value to them. So those are the assets at question. And ultimately, what what Oregon State and Washington State fears is that the, the other 10 schools are incentivized, correctly so, to dissolve the conference and split up all those assets 12 ways equally, which is what is in the the bylaws of the conference regarding uh, disillusion. Um, and so Oregon State and Washington State filed this suit to protect against that happening. And they were right to do so. And they were, you know, they're protecting their themselves and that was the right thing for them to do. Um, it isn't necessarily certain the other 10 schools were trying to do that. It was alleged at court. It just hasn't been proven. Uh, it seems reasonable that they would have been trying to do that because it benefits them. Uh, and, and they have a decent argument that that's the right thing to do as well. And they're 83% of the members. Um, it's a little bit different than a situation where a one or two schools leave. You know, this is 10, 10 out of 12 leaving. But that's a that's an argument for a different day that a court will ultimately you know, hear on most likely. So those are the fears. Those are the assets at, at stake. Um, and I think that the 10 would fear that if Washington State and Oregon State are the sole board members that they may try to claim some or all of the current year revenue as well as all of the the Rose Bowl payout, for example, and and they would argue that they have they have rights to their share of those assets, and I think that's kind of ultimately where what this boils down to. Um, but I think again, really clear, we need to make really clear that uh, the other ten schools were not were not named in this in this temporary restraining order request and this ultimate. Um, you know, request for judgment that that the two schools are the only the only two that sit on the board. The the Pac-12 was essentially the defendant, if you will, and that's important for a couple reasons. One, this the court the the thing the hearing was filed, the case was filed, and the hearing was held in Colfax County, Washington. Um, and so they kind of went venue shopping for a very favorable venue for those two schools, which is smart legal thing to do, and and they and they did that. Um, now, but what this means is that nine of the 10 schools that are leaving are not subject to the jurisdiction of 
the Colfax County Court in Washington, unless they decide they want to join the case. If they decide they want to join the case, they now become, they, they're basically submitting, saying, we recognize the authority of this court. They didn't do that. Uh, none of the other schools joined the case. So as of now, that court has no authority to issue discovery on, on nine of those 10 institutions. They can issue discovery on Washington because Washington is in the state of, you know, the University of Washington is in the state of Washington and therefore is subject to the jurisdiction of that court. But the other nine schools are not. I think this is very important. I think there's been some people arguing that now there'll be discovery and those two schools can go find these smoking guns that the other nine, other 10 schools were colluding with networks and whatnot to conspire to yada, yada, yada. Um, but I think it's important to note that as of now, the nine are not not subject to such discovery. Um, so the arguments that Oregon State and Washington State made were essentially that if if the injunction was not granted, if the temporary restraining order is not granted, and and the Pac-12 was allowed to hold a board meeting uh, to what was supposed to be tomorrow, that they could do irreparable damage to the two schools, and which is why the TRO was granted and, and should have been granted. The Pac-12 is arguing that the, they they're arguing, the Pac-12 argument was essentially we've got these two schools saying they're the only people who make up the board. We've got these other ten schools saying. No, they're allowed to be on the board too. And those are our bosses and our bosses are fighting amongst themselves and, and we don't know how to respond to that. But we have we have needs that need that need to happen now. We need a retention plan. We need to ensure that we're operating and, and meeting our obligations. So we can't have nothing happen in the interim because these things need to be addressed while the while the, the board membership thing gets sorted out. So the temporary restraining order was granted. What does that do? I think there's been some misunderstanding about this. Well, this does not give Washington State or Oregon State control of the board. There was no 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 arguments were heard on that on that uh, point, and no ruling was made on that point. That will be heard at, at a different a different day. Who who is allowed to sit on the board? And who is not allowed to sit on the board? All of that will be heard later. So what did it do? It basically said that no board meeting can happen whatsoever. The two schools can't hold a board meeting or make any decisions. The 10 schools can't hold a board meeting or make any decisions. No board meetings are allowed to be held of any kind. He did later, the judge did later amend his order to allow for unanimous written agreements among all 12 schools in writing uh, for any actions. So if, if, the, if the 12 schools can all agree on pension agreement, or other things that, other things that would allow the operations of the conference to continue, where board, where board decisions need to be made, a 12-0 unanimous decision in writing can, can be made. It does not allow any meetings whatsoever. And the other thing the, the, the TRO did was it basically affirms that, you know, status quo business as usual, which is, was not a question, right? Um, so it really just puts everything on lockdown. No decisions can be made. Nobody can do anything with the assets. Nobody can do anything with future assets. Nobody can, you know, amend the bylaws or vote to dissolve or, or spend any money beyond what is uh, normal business operations. So what did the temporary restraining order not do? Well, like I said, it did not give Washington State and Oregon State control of the board. It also does not open up nine of those 10 schools for any kind of discovery because those nine schools are not subject to the jurisdiction of the court at this time. It also did not decide who ultimately is or isn't in good standing and has a right to sit on the actual board of the All of that will be decided later. Was proper notice given 
you know, as defined by the law, was notice given uh, by the 10 schools. It hasn't been determined yet. What does notice mean if it was given? It hasn't been determined yet. Does that mean that uh, because you're leaving at the end of the term, does, does the consequences of the notice apply? Or because you're leaving after the term has already con concluded in, in full, do the consequences not apply? It's unclear. That will all be decided, potentially decided in a court later. It also doesn't, the temporary restraining order does not ultimately determine which assets will belong to, to which schools in that purpose. All of that again will be decided down the road. So down the road, let's talk about that. What's next? So the next likely thing from a legal standpoint that will be scheduled is there will be that ultimately that hearing on who gets to sit on the board and was notice given? What does notice mean? What are the, what are the consequences of notice? Uh, so the question becomes, you know, where, first question becomes, where will this hearing occur? Um, I think Oregon State and Washington State would love for it to occur in the same court where they filed it, right? But I think there could be an argument that that nine of the other 10 schools could make that says, hey, we're not subject to the jurisdiction of this court. This isn't the proper venue for this hearing. They could try to take some sort of actions either to, the, you know, a change of venue or request or potentially some sort of other countersuit that in a filed in a different court that would try to establish the proper venue. So I think that that was all that will all be interesting to see play out. I think the other question here becomes do the other ten schools join this case or not? The downside for them joining the case is that opens them up to discovery. It's them saying, yes, we agree we are subject to the jurisdiction of this court. Um, so that would that would give them a lot of incentive not to join the case. So right now, the case is just between the two schools and the Pac-12 Conference, not the other 10 schools. Um, and if the, of course, the reasoning why they might want to join the case is to is to make arguments in, of why they believe they should you know, still be allowed to sit on the board and make board decisions, uh, whether that be because they in their view, they didn't give notice, or in their view, the notice was given for a date that occurs after the end of the agreement and the date you know, mentioned in the bylaws, and therefore the penalties of notice aren't applicable. So those arguments could, could be made if they join the case. They could actually be made by the Pac-12 conference itself, whether they're, whether they're willing or capable of making that, I think is an open question. So, so let's say, let's say a hearing happens and let's say the outcome is that the hearing is determined that all 12, all 12 schools have board membership rights. Well, then it's game on, right? Because then the other 10 schools could vote to dissolve, and divide up the assets equally, and Oregon State and Washington State won't get cut out of that. They'll just get their, their 1 12th share of everything, and for all intents and purposes, the Pac-12 will end. Um, so that's one thing that would happen if, if Oregon State and Washington State ultimately lose on, on the uh, board membership question. Now, it doesn't mean that the other 10 will definitely vote to dissolve. It means they could. Um, they could take control of the board and do those things. Now, what happens if Oregon State and Washington State win? So if they win, it doesn't mean they automatically have all the money and all the assets and they got to run away and laugh all the way to the bank with half a billion dollars. That's not what would happen. Um, the question would be, well, first of all, the question would be, is this appealed? How long is it appealed? Um, how far up the chain does it, does it get appealed by the Pac-12 and or the other 10 schools if they join? Uh, secondly, what does Washington State and Oregon State do? So if they're in, if they're announced to to be the only two board members, 
Do they hold board meetings? What do they do with those board meetings? Uh, I think that could ultimately determine, you know, what counteractions happen next, right? So if they try to hold a board meeting and and say, hey, we're hold, we're we're grabbing all of the all of the revenue for the current year and keeping it for ourselves per the bylaws, then then they will that will be challenged in court, right? It, you know, they don't just get that because they say they do. That's not how it will work. That all will be litigated. I, I think the the question becomes, you know, how far will they go if they get control? How far will either side go if they get control? And all of that will, will again, be litigated in court. Um, I think the argument that some of the 10, again, this is now we're branching into possibilities, right? So I think the argument, regardless of who wins the, the question of board membership, the argument that the 10 schools could make in court in, in some future case could be that the Pac-12 is not is no longer as constituted, having lost 83% of its ownership and being at 25% of required membership to be a recognized FBS NCA conference, not having a TV contract, uh, not having, you know, revenues, you know, in the future. I think the, the 10 schools could make the legal argument that the Pac-12 is no longer a going concern, which is a legal term. It just means it's no longer uh, a valid a valid company going forward, if you will. It's no longer a valid entity. It does it's it, for all intents and purposes, it's dead. It may not legally be dead, but it's practically dead. And therefore that that could be our in a legal sense then that could be an argument that, that would say Pac you know, Oregon State and Washington State can't pretend that this is still going on to benefit themselves financially at the expense of the other ten schools. Uh, and therefore, that would that would, that could end in dissolution and, and an equal division of all shares. So that's one thing that could be happening. That would again, this will take months, if not years, to play out in court if it goes down any kind of litigation route. The other thing that could be happening separately is, regardless of of who wins control, let's say Oregon State and Washington State win control of the board and they decide they're going to hold up assets and or take more more than one twelfth share of assets. The other 12 schools could litigate that. They could sue and say, nope, that's, we believe we're entitled to those assets uh, and, and tie it all up in court for a long time. I think that's where this comes to the, what I think is the, the very likely outcome is that there will be some sort of agreement or settlement of this between the 12 parties. Primarily because I think Oregon State and Washington State can't afford to wait for all of this stuff to get tied up for years in litigation. They they need to know which assets they have control of so they can know what their next course of action is. Do they want to try to invite other schools to leave their existing conferences and join the Pac-12? Well, if, if they want to do that, they, A, they have to have money. B, they have to have a TV contract. Right now, they can't even negotiate or sign a TV contract if they wanted to. If someone was offering one them, they don't have any authority to sign one right now. Um, and so they need to know what assets they have so they can entice these teams to come join their conference. Or if they want to do a reverse merger, that also, they would need to know what assets they have. You know, Mountain West or some other conference that might want to do a merger with them is not going to, is going to be very cautious about doing something with an entity that has pending litigation that, you know, in the, in the tune of hundreds of millions of dollars. So I think it, it is in Oregon State's and Washington State's best interest to get clear resolution on this as soon as possible because they have to. 
they have nowhere to go in 10 months. They have to plan something. And in, in order to plan something, they need clarity. So I think what will happen is, regardless of the outcome of the ownership question, there will be some sort of settlement. Um, whether it's just a matter of when. That could even happen before the ownership question. The board, the board, the board membership question is decided. It could be that the 12 parties all agree to to divide up something and move on. Um, but this is just the first step of many. Uh, you know, one of the things I, I said yesterday is no one could win anything yesterday, but Oregon State and Washington State could have lost. If they would have lost the temporary restraining order hearing, it would have been game over because the other 10 then could have just called their board meeting on Wednesday, amended the bylaws any way they wanted to, and, uh, you know, kind of moved on. So they, they played the card they had to play. They're living to fight another day. But let's be clear, they have a long way to go with this. They have, they have to win a lot of battles to get to get where they probably want to get or need to get. And I, again, I think that's why, because of the timeliness factor and because of their need to know what the situation is, so they can plan effectively for next year. I think we're going to see some sort of some sort of settled resolution. It may not be a settlement in the legal sense, right? But some sort of agreement between the twelve parties in some way, shape, or form that that gives both sides a little bit of what they want. Um, now, if, if either either party wants to dig in their heels, then it could get ugly and it could stretch on for a very long time. But we'll see if that happens or not. Anyway, that's uh, that's my read on the situation. Again, I tried to stick to facts. Um, you know, not give too much opinion. I, I think, you know, if you're asking me my opinion, I think the, the Oregon State Washington were absolutely right to do this. They, they're protecting their interests and the temporary standing order should have been granted. I think it's, it's probably fair to, to prevent the other 10 schools from taking action at this point in time. So I, I agree with that. I also think the other 10 schools aren't guilty of anything. They're not in, they're not required to enter into a new contract at the end of the existing one. Like they didn't harm, they have not caused harm legally for or financially at Oregon State and Washington State. They've met the terms of their agreement and then they're deciding to go their separate ways at the end of that. And, and that's fine, that's their right. They're not They're not required to, to continue to do business to sign a new contract over and over and over again in perpetuity. I mean, that you can't compel someone to sign a contract they don't want to, and you can't hold them liable for damages that they didn't create by not signing a contract they don't want to. They signed a contract, they fulfilled 100% of that contract, and then they're moving on. So I think they're right to, to want to defend their interest as well. Um, I think you can make arguments either way legally around, you know, is, is the conference continuing? You know, and, and I think Oregon State and Washington State will argue, hey, it's continuing, therefore we should get 100% of all of the go-forward revenue. I think you can make that argument legally. I think the other 10 schools can and maybe will argue that, like, that's a farce. Like, it's a legal, it's a legal trickery if you, if you keep the Pac-12 name as an umbrella, but, it, but you're 90% a different conference, you're not really the Pac-12. You're not really the conference that signed the money or earned the right to that future revenue and therefore it's just a it's a legal trick to avoid dissolution and, and be able to capture 100 percent of the 
of those future ongoing assets of the, of the existing assets and future revenues versus you know only being able to capture the one or two twelfth share of it that you should be entitled to. So I think that argument also holds water, and and ultimately that's what could be litigated in court and could last a long time if if somebody wants to push it that far. So we'll see what happens next. But uh, I guess the the next thing to keep on the lookout for is when and where is that hearing on the board membership question going to happen and do the other 10 schools either join that case or file a different case of their own in some other court it'll be interesting to see so watch out for that and uh thanks for listening